on the 24th of this month, or last month, sorry, Ireland uh, went to the polls to elect both local councillors and members of the European Parliament. And although there was a bit of a delay in our constituency, in Ireland's south constituency, finally the result became clear. The winners were declared because they got the most votes. For all the complexity and intrigue of politics, in the end, these things are just a popularity contest, aren't they? Whoever gets the most votes wins. And for many people, life feels like a popularity contest. It feels like success is measured by things like the more friends we have, or the more people who like us, or the more people speak well of us, or the more Facebook friends we have, or Instagram followers, the more YouTube views we get, or Twitter retweets. And even as a church, we could be tempted to measure success in that same way. We could try to measure our success or our lack of it by how many members we have or how many people come on a Sunday or how many people come to our various events through the week or through the year. But if that is what success is really all about, then Jesus wasn't very successful. And he did things that made him less successful. Over the past few weeks, we've been been in John chapter 6. At the start of this chapter, Jesus was at the high point of his popularity. Even though it was a remote place, a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and kids came desperate to see him. Then after feeding them all from a little boy's packed lunch, they all wanted to make him king. And even when Jesus removed himself from that situation and went over to the other side of the Lake of Galilee, the crowds were still trying to follow him, desperate to come to see him and to meet up with him and to receive something from him. From the world's point of view, at this point, Jesus was an amazing success because he was incredibly popular. But all of this changed with what we're going to read this morning. As a result of what Jesus said here, many people criticised him. Many people were offended by him. And a whole bunch of them rejected him and left him. They gave up following Jesus because his words were too difficult for them to accept. So what did Jesus say that made so many people turn their backs on him? And why did Jesus say this if it was going to have this impact? And what can we learn about from from this about what success really looks like in our lives? So we're going to read quite a long reading this morning. Uh, John chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 41 and read down to the end of the chapter. If you want a Bible, there are some there over on the table. If you want to follow on, if you just want to listen, that's fine too. So John chapter 6 and verse 41. At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, 
I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you can eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is, is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. So, In this reading, three times the crowd in the synagogue objected to what Jesus said here. And we're just going to go down through and see each of these objections and try and understand what was going on here. So the first objection was about where Jesus was from. As we saw last week, Jesus had claimed to be the bread that came down from heaven. 
He was claiming, in claiming to be the bread, he was claiming to be the basic requirement for life. The only one who can bring us the salvation and the satisfaction and the security that we need. But to the people in the synagogue in Capernaum, that didn't make any sense. Because they knew where he was from. They began to grumble. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How then can he say, I came down from heaven? The Galileans were well known for being practical, down-to-earth kind of people. They dealt with solid, everyday realities. So they knew that Jesus had grown up in Nazareth. They knew his mum and dad. To them, that was simple. That just proved that he hadn't come down from heaven. He'd come from Nazareth. And Nazareth wasn't heaven. In fact, they were like the people of Nazareth itself. Remember when, when Jesus went to speak in the synagogue in Nazareth? How the people in Nazareth were deeply offended that this guy Jesus was coming up and teaching them God's truth. They said, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? The brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon aren't his sisters here with us. They were thinking that Jesus is far too ordinary a guy to be able to stand up in front of them and teach them God's truth. And the people in the synagogue there that day in Capernaum were thinking the same thing. So how did Jesus respond to that? Well, we read that Jesus didn't back down from this claim. He didn't try to retreat and kind of change what he was saying. Instead, he repeated that claim again. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. But he also expanded upon it. Went deeper into this truth. Look at verse 46. He said that he's the only one who's seen God. No one has seen the Father except the one who's from God. Only he has seen the Father. And because of this, he has a unique mission from God to this world. By being sent by God into this world. The living Father sent me. And I live because of the Father. And the purpose of his mission, he said, was to give life for everyone who trusts in him. Verse 47, I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. That is why Jesus, as the bread of life, is so much better than the manna that the people of Israel received when they were travelling around the desert under the leadership of Moses. Remember, this is the time of the Passover when this was very much fresh in their mind. Passover was a time when they were commemorating and looking back to the time of the Exodus where Moses led the people out of Egypt and, and around the desert for 40 years and then into the Promised Land. So Jesus said, your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. Now the manna was a gift from God. It was an amazing gift from God. Every morning, apart from on the Sabbath, the people went outside their tents and on the ground was bread. Little wafers of bread that just suddenly appeared on the ground. And they collected it and they ate it. And that kept them alive for 40 years. 
That was an amazing miracle. There were about a million people in that camp. And, Jesus, and God fed them with the manna for 40 years in a wilderness area. It was an amazing gift, but the people eventually died. It kept them alive for 40 years, but no longer. But here is the bread, Jesus said, that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. Jesus, as the living bread, can give life, not just for 40 years like manna did, but forever. Life that will never end. And this life comes from the sacrifice of himself, as we've just remembered in our time of communion. This bread is my flesh, Jesus said, verse 51, which I will give for the life of the world. So this is how Jesus responded to their objections about what he said. In the face of their scepticism, Jesus didn't back down. He didn't change his message to fit those who were listening. He didn't compromise to soften the challenge of it. Instead, he fearlessly declared the truth. The truth of who he is and what he had come to do. And in our age of scepticism, we are called to do the same. So many people today are offended by the supernatural claims of the gospel. They, often they like the idea of Jesus as a good man, or as a gentle revolutionary, or as a wise teacher. But that's as far as they want to go. They don't want to think about miracles. They don't want to think about the cross. They certainly don't want to think about a resurrection or eternal life in heaven. They want to keep it on earth. Things that can make sense to them. But we must not compromise on the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We must courageously declare that he is not just fully human, but he's also fully God. We need to preach that he is from God with the power of God to give life through the sacrifice of himself. We need to be like the Apostle Paul who said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We need to be like in what we were saying about the kids' song. You've got to move. You've got to speak the gospel. No matter what other people will think. But what about the second objection? The second objection was about the strangeness of what Jesus said. So as the bread of heaven, Jesus claimed, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh. Now, as practical people, the crowd took Jesus' words literally. And this was their question. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? That just didn't only sound ridiculous, obviously, it also sounded wrong. They knew that God's law had declared that they shouldn't eat any human flesh and certainly not drink any blood. 
So why did Jesus say this? And what was Jesus trying to say? So how did Jesus respond to that? Well, again, he didn't back down. He didn't try and change the subject and kind of cover it up. Despite the objections, Jesus repeated this truth. Verse 53 made it even more explicit. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. But Jesus also then went on to explain what he meant by this. And that is the crucial thing that Jesus did here. So verse 63. Jesus said, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So Jesus explained that he wasn't speaking in literal terms here. He was using a human analogy to convey a spiritual truth. He was speaking from a situation that they would understand to trying to teach them a situation that they might not understand readily. And we've actually seen this on a number of occasions in the Gospel of John already. Maybe you remember back in chapter 2. Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. So the Jews, they wrongly assumed that he was talking about the building that they were standing in at that moment. The temple, the, the construction. They didn't understand that Jesus was actually talking about his own body. He was looking forward to his death when he would die and then three days later he would rise again. Then Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And Nicodemus wrongly assumed that Jesus was talking about a physical rebirth and said, that's impossible, I can't enter into my mother's womb again, obviously. He didn't understand that Jesus was talking about a spiritual rebirth through the power of the Holy Spirit that would bring us into God's family. And then when Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well that if she understood who was speaking to her, then she could ask and he would have given you living water. This Samaritan woman wrongly assumed that Jesus was talking about some other kind of H2O, some liquid And said, well, how can you give me that water? Because you get nothing to draw from the well. The water from the well with. She didn't understand that Jesus was talking about, not about water, but about soul-satisfying, eternal life. So those three times we see people listening to what Jesus said and misunderstanding it, thinking it was talking about something physical, when it was talking about something spiritual. And so here... Jesus is doing the same. He wasn't talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. Instead he was teaching that just as we take food into our bodies and it becomes part of us, so we need to personally and individually receive Jesus into our innermost being. We need to believe in him and receive him as our saviour and our Lord so that he can give us eternal life. And I think that's really clear just from what Jesus said in this passage. So if you look at verse 47, 
Jesus said, he who believes has eternal life. And then compare that to verse 54. Jesus said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So eating and drinking Jesus is the same as believing in Jesus. It is a picture of what it means to trust in Jesus. And if we do that, if we put our faith in Jesus, if we receive Jesus into our lives as our Saviour and our Lord, then the guarantee is that we are saved, that we are brought into God's family, and that we are secure in his kingdom. And so this passage is not teaching about communion as some other churches, especially the Roman Catholic Church, would teach. The Roman Catholic Church teach that this is about the Mass. That in the Mass, the bread and the wine are transubstantiated into the physical body and blood, the flesh and blood of Jesus, and that by eating this, people receive eternal life. But we see that that's not what Jesus is talking about here. That isn't what this passage is saying. It's saying, if we believe in Jesus, then we will receive eternal life once and for all. It's not something we need to continue to do. And it's not something about something physical. It's a spiritual reality through our faith in Jesus. And then when Jesus did institute the communion service, as we've just remembered, or, or we've just done this morning, then he didn't tell us to do communion in order to receive eternal life. Instead, he told us to take the bread and to take the cup in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, Jesus said, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. He didn't say whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you receive eternal life. So communion is not about receiving life. It's not about being saved. It is a commemoration and a celebration of what Jesus has done on the cross. Communion is not the means through which we are saved. But rather it's an opportunity for us to express our gratitude, our thanks, our worship and praise. Because we already are saved through our faith in Jesus. So yes, Jesus did teach this this difficult to understand doctrine. But he didn't leave these people in the dark. the, The teaching challenged their thinking. But but he took the time to explain it. He took the time to make it clear for the people. For those who were willing to listen carefully, he corrected their misunderstandings and he clarified this truth. And we need to try and do the same for others today. The message of the gospel is confusing to people today. We know that, don't we? But God wants us to take the time and the effort to try and come alongside them and explain it to them as simply and clearly as we can. In fact, today is Pentecost Sunday, the day that the the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And on Pentecost, 
when, when the crowds were all confused and, uh, and uh, they just couldn't work out what was happening when the Holy Spirit came on the disciples, Peter, he stood up. And he spoke to all of the crowd and he said, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I said. And then Peter explained what was happening and gave the offer for them to receive the Holy Spirit into their lives as well. So when we are confronted with people who who are either offended or who don't understand what we're trying to say, then we need to mustn't back down, but we must try and explain what we mean. But of course, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to listen. Unfortunately, many will reject the truth. If you look at verse 60, on hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This was the the crowd's last objection. In their minds, none of this made any sense. It didn't match what they thought. It didn't suit their materialistic mindset. It didn't fit in with their hopes and their dreams of what the Messiah was going to do. And so they were deeply offended with the strangeness of what Jesus was teaching here. And so, like many people do today, they concluded that Jesus' teaching was just impossible, was outrageous, and was just too difficult to accept. And so in verse 66 it says, From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They just gave up. They walked away. They rejected Jesus. Now in the eyes of the world, this would look like a disaster. Could you imagine? Standing up here in front of church. And everybody walking out and leaving about a couple of people. Don't try it. I know some people do walk out sometimes, but they come back in. So, this would look like a disaster for Jesus. But Jesus wasn't surprised or he wasn't discouraged by this. In fact, he always knew this was going to happen. Look at verse 64. It said this, Yet there are some of you who do not believe... For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and which would and who would betray him. So Jesus knew that this was going to happen. He knew that by standing up in front of them and speaking this truth to them, they would reject him. And he also knew why this would happen. He knew that this was the result of the darkness in their hearts. He told Nicodemus earlier, men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. And so because of this darkness in their hearts, the only people who will come to Jesus and stay with him are those that the Father calls. Verse 65, no one comes to me, can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Nobody will come to Jesus without God opening up their minds melting their hearts, transforming their thinking and bringing them to faith. Salvation is God's work from start to finish. And so when some people left, Jesus didn't panic. He knew that God was in control. 
He knew that God had promised that I shall lose none of all that He has given me. That the ones that God had called, the ones that God had enabled, the ones that had truly trusted in Jesus, they would never be lost. So those who left didn't belong to Him. But those who stayed were those who the Father had given Him. And so Jesus asked the twelve, you do not want to leave too, do you? And in response, Peter said these amazing words. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now these disciples here, they didn't understand everything that Jesus had said. We would be wrong to think that they were sitting there nodding their heads saying, oh yeah, absolutely Jesus, we understand all of this. That's not the case at all. They especially did not understand the necessity of Jesus going to the cross to dying for them. You can see that when, when that actually happened, they were all panicked. They were trying to st- stop it happening. These things would only become clear after the resurrection. So these disciples didn't stay because they understood everything that Jesus was saying. Instead, they stayed because they were sure about who Jesus is. And they were sure that Jesus' words, no matter how difficult, no matter how complicated, no matter how confusing, Jesus' words were truth and they were life. And so they committed to staying with Jesus. They stayed, all except Judas of course, they stayed because they believed in Jesus rather than understanding everything that Jesus said. It was faith rather than understanding that made them stay. And I think that's a wonderful example for us. I'm sure I'm not not the only one who sometimes reads the Bible and doesn't get it. Doesn't understand it. Have you ever read something in the Bible and just thought, what's all that about? I don't get that. That doesn't make sense in my head. That doesn't compute. I just can't get my head around it. Yeah, you've experienced that? I'm glad it's not just me. So we may not be able to work it all out. But if we are true followers of Jesus, even when we read things that don't make sense, that we can't understand, we will not want to go anywhere else. Not because we understand it all, not because everything fits us or suits us, but because we know that Jesus is the Son of God. And His words, no matter how difficult, no matter how confusing, His words are truth and they are life. Because we believed in Him. You don't need to understand everything to trust in Jesus. Many of us here this morning trust in Jesus when we were very young. I was about four or five. I had not a clue about most things. Still don't. But I knew who Jesus was. And I trusted in Him. So you don't need to work it all out in your head. Yes, if you've got questions, come and ask. And ask the questions and get the answers that you need. But you don't need to work it all out to put your trust in Jesus. If you know who he is, if you know that he's died on the cross for you, then you can put your faith in him and receive him into your life as the saviour 
a lot. And so I think this is what this hard teaching does. This teaching separated. It separated like the wheat from the chaff. It separated the crowd from the committed disciples. The crowd, they objected to Jesus' teaching and they turned away from it. The committed struggled to understand what Jesus was saying, but they trusted in him. And I think that's why Jesus gave this difficult teaching. It wouldn't make sense in the eyes of the world. None of us, none of the the, the consultants about church growth strategies and all that would give this advice to Jesus today. But Jesus knew that this was what God wanted him to do. Even although it reduced Jesus' popularity, even although it declined or decimated his approval ratings, those numbers weren't important to Jesus. He was not focused on drawing big crowds just to get a huge following. Instead, he was focused on bringing people to real commitment to him. He wasn't seeking popularity, but men and women to grow into true disciples. And so this should be our focus too. Success in our lives is not measured by popularity. We're not called to be famous or admired. Instead, we're called to be faithful to God's word. And we're called to be faithful in calling people into true discipleship. So my prayer today is that none of us are going to be like the crowd and turn away from Jesus when it's too hard, when it's too demanding, or when it's too confusing. But instead, each and every one of us will be among the committed who will trust in Jesus as the bread of life no matter what and who will declare and explain this truth even if many people reject it